He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh, that is amazing! Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys and Jim Woodward with you today, and we got a mega show for you guys today. We have my former coach, Coach Brogdon, Bill Brogdon, and Jim Kane coming on the podcast to talk about the 1981 ORU team that just got inducted into the ORU Athletic Hall of Fame over the weekend. And it's the first team that's ever been inducted into the ORU Athletic Hall of Fame in any sport. So definitely stay tuned after the break to hear some of the greatest stories you will ever hear from two absolute legends, Jim Kane and Bill Brogdon. Woody, how was your weekend? We had plenty of golf this weekend, although we did get cut short a day on Sunday with Pebble Beach. I guess we'll start there. Wyndham Clark wins at 17 under par, one shot over Ludwig Oberg. He has changed names again from Ludwig Aberg to Ludwig Ober. Now he's Ludwig Oberg, finishes solo second at 16 under par, and Matthew Pavon continues to play great golf at 15 under par, but the tournament obviously called short to 54 holes, no cut. Tell me if that sounds familiar, Woody. Um, But Wyndham Clark fires a 12 under par 60 on Saturday, gains 9.07 shots on the field on Saturday, just in that one round in, in the third round, which turned out to be the final round and leaves putts on 16 and 17 right in the jaws, right in the heart, and then on 18 leaves it about a half a foot short as well. But little did he know he needed to two-putt to win the golf tournament anyways, considering that inclement weather and crazy amount of wind came in on Sunday. It rained today. Uh, On Monday, we're recording this podcast. going to rain Tuesday, Wednesday, so they had to call it short. Uh, What are your thoughts on the former Cowboy, Wyndham Clark, winning the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am out in California over this past weekend? Well, one thing we know for sure, there's no more drought in California, right? So they can quit bitching about that. (laughs) So we can move from there real quick. But uh, 60 at Pebble Beach, uh, wow. Uh, but I, you know, before we started the show, I was kind of surprised they shot it as low as they did Spyglass. But the reason why is they had really docile conditions till when it really turned ugly, and then it wiped the whole thing out. Uh, you know, I saw I saw Wyndham Clark hit a couple balls out of the rough that hit and just stopped dead. Ten was one of them. He hit it about two feet left of the hole, maybe not even that far, and it just hit and stopped out of the rough. And I'm going, man, now that's yeah, that's not like the U.S. Open or something crazy like that. The golf courses were really soft, is what I'm saying, Sam. So they took big advantage of it. Wyndham Clark, if I get my numbers right, I think I read this today when I was checking on this, he made 190 feet of putt. On <laughs> is that any good? He, Put that he, in perspective he, for our listeners. Well, I mean, good God, I don't even know how to put it in perspective other than the fact if you look at your driveway 
and look down to the road and walk off 190 feet. That's how many feet of putty, man. It's unbelievable. He picked up almost six shots on the field on his putting alone, Sam. So, I mean, one of those kinds of rounds that nobody saw it coming. But, you know, good for him because he and his caddy talked about it before they teed off. They said, hey, let's go hard today because we're probably not going to get to finish this golf tournament and see what happens. Well, I'll tell you what happened. He shoots 60. And what was really funny, Sam, watching that this that day on Saturday, I was watching the live kind of going back and forth. But by the time I went back to where Wyndham Clark was and I first saw him, is when he made a bogey on 12. And he butchered the heck out of the hole, made like a 20-footer for bogey. And I'm going, well, what? And he's leading? I hadn't been watching it close enough because Jim Nance and none of them were talking about how many under par he was at that time. Then I came back to watch a little bit later, and they're saying, well, he's on 59 watch. And I went, wow, that bogey made was pretty good bogey then. So that was kind of ironic to me. One of the things kept around going is about a 20-foot bogey putty mate. No doubt about it. And you mentioned earlier on in the week when the weather gets crazy out at Pebble Beach, it can be extremely tough out there. And some of the clubs, like on the short part 3-7th, that you have to hit in a hole like that. Fortunately for the players, or I guess if you're Ludwig Oberg, I guess unfortunately that you didn't get to play on Sunday. But it would have been a true, you know, Hollywood movie out there watching these guys try to hit some of those shots if they did have to play in the craziness that was that was Sunday. But I think they probably made the right move calling the tournament short. I know some people were a little upset with the decision, but I, I thought it was fine. What what were your thoughts on them calling it short, Woody? Oh, they, they didn't have a choice, Sam. They, they just didn't. When that wind gets blowing out there like it's blowing – it's dangerous for the fans as much as anything else because the trees and everything else, it can break some big big old log off a tree and come down and kill somebody. So you couldn't do it. You couldn't. Now, if there was no galleries and it wasn't rain, it wasn't a monsoon, and it was just 50-mile-an-hour winds, it would have been a fun thing to watch because it would have been a, a death march is what it would have been. So, um, <laughs> Not to mention you know, that the, with the rain, it made the greens unplayable. They were underwater and, uh, you know, the bunkers, yeah. all that with the rain. But it would have been fun just thinking about those high winds that you saw the videos of those guys out there if they did, did have to play. Where, did you see where Tony Finau hit a driver on the seventh hole? Yes. I don't know if you saw that. I saw it that was video. In it was in the practice it was round. Practice. Yeah, it was in the practice. He hit a driver and barely – Barely hit over the back of the green. That was where I told you you had to hit three iron one time. It can get ridiculous at Pebble Beach. But, you know, Sam, what I saw this weekend, that what a great opportunity for the two to go against each other, Liv and the PGA Tour. Uh, I thought it was ironic that they were talking about how great his 60 was, yet Joaquin's Neiman's 59 wasn't all that. I still get a kick out of it because, it's still a competition. It's still that there's no peace pipe being smoked. Let me just tell you this. Uh, but if you look at that leaderboard, okay, Wyndham Clark, I know he's U.S. Open champion, right? Oberg uh, is rookie coming, coming like crazy. Pavon, uh, we didn't know anything about Pavon until he won at Torrey Pines. Uh, Dietrich, um, Mark Hubbard, uh, you got Jason Day, but then you got Tom Hoagie. Then you get down there with Thomas, Scheffler, and Burns. But what you don't see anywhere in the top 10, top 15 
is the speech, Shopley, Rory McIlroy. They didn't get the leaderboard they were looking for again. And so I just kind of, I kind of chuckle at this because, yeah, we're still not getting what they want. Or maybe I'm wrong. Did you see it different? No, Woody, I understand what you're saying. Now, I do feel like Wyndham Clark is slowly becoming a superstar. And I say I only say slowly because he was kind of a late bloomer. But when he was in college, he was a world beater. And he's finally getting that confidence on the PGA Tour, especially after winning the elevated event last year at Quail Hollow. And then he wins the U.S. Open. And now he goes on to win a signature event at Pebble Beach. He is finally back to what he was in college, being that world beater with that mindset. I think that the sky is the limit for a guy like Wyndham Clark. By the way, now third in the FedEx Cup ranking, sixth in the official world golf rankings, 27th as far as the data golf rankings go. I really, really like his game, and I really, really like him as a person. He's a guy that I root for, for sure. Um, But as far as the leaderboards, you're kind of right that this was another, I guess, sleeper for the PGA Tour. We talked about, you know, Kirk and then Grayson Murray winning, and then you had the amateur Nick Dunlap. Great story, but not a big-time superstar name. And then you have Pavon, then you have a three-day tournament, and it gets cut short. Yes, Wyndham Clark's a solid winner, but it was kind of another sleeper to me. It just came across that way to me, too, Sam. I uh, I got fascinated today. I was watching a little bit of the golf channel today, and, and of course, they were right back on the drum beating up on Liv, saying that how could John Rahm, after he blew a two-shot lead, act like he's excited up there on the stage popping the cork and doing all that. So, well, they I, obviously I didn't think- see his post, post-round interview right after because, obviously, Legion 13 wins. And we'll get to the live recap here in a second. But Legion 13 wins, and they interviewed John Rahm, and he's like, man, I might need five minutes because I'm still pissed off about losing individually, but I'm very happy for my team. It did seem like he well, cared. Yeah, he did. He did. My, my point is, is we I thought we were making some pretty good inroads on trying to get somebody and these guys to get along. But this weekend didn't seem that way at all to me. I, I don't know. I just, uh, I was a little disappointed in, in a lot of things that came out of this weekend. One of which is just getting that 54 hole tournament on the PGA tour. That, that Sunday was setting up to be a pretty good dog fight. And I was really looking forward to it. No doubt. You mentioned the live event at live Mayakoba and what you, first of all, what if I told you that Wyndham Clark's round was not even the best round of the weekend in professional golf? Joaquin Neiman, in his first round, shoots a 59 at Mayakoba, and he gains nearly 12 shots on the field average for that day. That's the third best round in the last decade in professional golf, Woody. What were your thoughts We'll get to Neiman winning the golf tournament here in a second and the theatrics around that, them finishing in the dark against Sergio and Rom, like you said, in there as well. We'll get to that in a second. But what were your thoughts on that first round from Joaquin Neiman? A 59? Unbelievable way to start off the year. Well, you know what was funny is uh, T-Dub, you and I all liked him this week. We all thought yes, we he's great to bust. He's playing really, really good. So I thought he'd come 
with balls of fire. I really did. I didn't think he was going to shoot 59, but when you, when you watch that round too, boy, it was good, Sam. It was solid. Now he did hold one from the fairway for an Eagle, which that'll tend to get scored down there pretty quick. Uh, but he was rock solid. I mean, he drove it really good. He hit his irons really good. And, and, you know, it's, I hate that if a lot of people might not have been watching that, and they should have been, but they're not, and that's okay. But, I mean, that was some pure golf is what that was. No doubt about it. And that's the reason why we picked him. He is so solid off the tee. Just look at the, what, four times he played 18. What a tough tee shot to have to play over and over and over again, that narrow 18th hole at Mayakoba, and he just striped it. Three times, he did get lucky the one time in the second playoff hole when it bounced off the trees and came back into the rough. But Woody, I mean, he's just so rock solid, and he's one of the up-and-coming young superstars, and I don't use that word lightly in professional golf. I think it's an absolute joke that he does the same thing, literally, no-cut, limited field, 54-hole event uh, that Wyndham Clark did this week, and Joaquin Neiman is not going to be in the major championships this year. I will say this, that the one good thing about Pebble Beach being canceled on Sunday is a lot of the PGA Tour fans that were fired up to watch Pebble Beach did end up watching Live, and I thought it was one of the more entertaining finishes that we've had, not only the playoff, but John Rom being up there as well, and then John Rom hitting it in the hazard to the left on 17, I think it was, and then you yeah. get into the playoff, Woody, and basically they ran out of light, and they basically yeah, said, they you guys are going to come back tomorrow at 9 a.m., and Sergio said, no, 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 we'll play one more, and it's so dark that the only light that they have <laughs> is the scoreboard next to the green, and Joaquin Neiman makes a three, a birdie on that final playoff hole to beat Sergio Garcia in the literal darkness. I thought it was must-watch TV, Woody. I was glued to the TV all afternoon on Saturday watching Live. If they did leave, couldn't watch PGA, if they did go over to watch that Live, it was going to be a very entertaining show for them. But it's going to be different than what they have been watching, okay? We have, we've said that all along, long, Sam, that, that you can hear the music playing in the background. You can see the scoreboards are so much different, keeping up with everything. So if they went about it with the right attitude, right, and they went about it with the right vision, I think it was pretty entertaining golf. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty cool. And the weather was beautiful down there in Mayakopa. I mean, it was beautiful. And, and the water, the scenes. And uh, I, I thought it was a very entertaining golf tournament. I was surprised. I really was surprised. Ron bogeyed 17-18. That one caught me off guard. I thought, oh, boy, here he comes. And same way with Cam Smith. I thought Cam Smith was going to make a real run early. And then he kind of just filtered down the he kind of fell back a little bit down the stretch and uh but rom surprised me i i really thought rom would come in there and sneak in there and maybe win that golf tournament because joaquin after shooting 59 he didn't really do a lot after that so it but it was i tell you what if you didn't think that wasn't entertaining golf then you're never gonna like live so just don't bother with it 
No doubt. And the leaderboard shaped up like this. It was Joaquin Neiman over Sergio Garcia, 12 under par in that playoff. And then you had John Rahm and Dean Burmester tied for third at 10 under par. And then you had Dustin Johnson, Charles Howe third, friend of the show, and Brooks Kepka all tie for fifth place. And then we mentioned it earlier, John Rahm's team, Legion 13, wins it in their first live event. And Tyrrell Hatton played phenomenal, especially in that final round. And Caleb Surratt really, really impressed me this week. Woody uh, shot five under, right, on the last day with a triple bogey. And so, and he just, you know, came out of his dorm room, 19-year-old sophomore from Tennessee that Liv just picked up. And he goes out there and shoots five under in the final round to help Legion 13 win in their first tournament as a team on Liv. I was impressed with Hatton and Surratt in the final round. And even though Rom didn't play his best golf individually coming down the stretch, uh, they still win at 24 under par, four shots over the Crushers. Well, it, it looks like to me Legion 13 could be our next four aces. Uh, when you mm-hmm. look at that, uh, they could dominate this team, especially if this young kid plays like that. I mean, when you when you stop and think about it, he – Two weeks ago, he was in college. Well, yesterday, with his finish in the tournament and winning the million on his team part of it, uh, what he make about a million three, something like that. So um, I don't think he's going to miss going to class anytime soon. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and, and when you look at, at what John Rahm did, okay, he made a little over two-point-something million when he put his team and his individual in there. So... I mean, right or wrong, Sam, the the money alone still would tell you, wow, this this lives not going to go away because of that, because of the money. And 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 I'll tell you this: what what shocks me when we look at that, like we stand there and say, Joaquin Neiman, four million dollars for that win. So it's still whether we we want to agree with it or don't agree with it, we call it the money. We don't like the money, whatever. That is going to keep influencing guys to go to this live tour because it's just mind-boggling how much they can make in one event. It really is. And it goes to show, talking about Caleb Surratt, it goes to show how smart the people are working for live because not just Yasser I'm sure obviously Yasser has some people telling him who these good up-and-coming stars are in college golf what live figured out is they're not getting the young up-and-coming seniors out of high school because PGA Tour uh, started the PGA Tour U and they were all going to the PGA Tour or the Corn Ferry Tour using that status that they got from PGA Tour U. So they said, you know what? We'll just get go get the best sophomore. And went and got the guy that finished second in the U.S. Junior last year, won a couple times in college. And they said, we'll just pick up an even younger guy. And it looks to me like this, this kid's going to be a star as well, Woody. I mean, that just Did goes he? to show how smart those guys are. And then when you talk about Rom individually real quick, I mean, what were your thoughts on Rom bogeying 17 and 18 to – to lose the golf tournament essentially individually. I mean, that that was pretty shocking when he hit that tee shot with the iron left on the par 4 17th. Yeah, I, we're used to him maybe hitting a, a driver left. Very rarely do I see him hit those irons while flying. He's usually spot on with his irons. His driver can get a little wayward. But, uh, yeah, that one, 
Sam, of the whole thing, the only thing more shocking than watching Rom make a bogey the last two holes is I actually, I, I, I'm going to have to think about this before I say it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Pretty proud of Rory McIlroy this weekend. I mean, so, as shocked as I was that John Rom could back up, I was that much more impressed with Rory McIlroy, not with his golf, but with his politics for a change, trying to keep Jordan Spieth quiet. I finally think you're right, Sam. Rory understands this picture, finally. I think he gets it now. Now, obviously, Jordan Spieth hadn't figured it out, and a few of them hadn't figured it out. But what I'm talking about, if our listeners don't understand, Spieth came out this past week and said, yeah, we don't need the, the PIF. We don't need that Saudi money. Uh, what are you thinking? And, of course, Rory McIlroy immediately said, now, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't want to irritate them. We're not done negotiating yet. We still would like to have them part of the PGA Tour. Rory gets it. I don't know what Jordan Spieth was saying, thinking, making that statement. What do you think? You, you had to hear that statement and go, what did he just say? No, yeah, and Rory earlier on in the week also said – that he thinks that the live guys should be able to come back to the PGA Tour without punishment. And, yeah, I think that Rory McIlroy understands that what have we done this entire time? Follow the money. And he understands that if those guys come back, then there is going to be one United Tour where the money is going to be literally infinite, Woody. And so I think that, you know, what what have we done the whole time? Follow the money and, and realize that these guys are doing what's best you know, for themselves. And I think that Rory finally realizes that. And I also think that Rory's backing off a little bit because he wants to focus on golf headed into this year uh, and stop with all the distractions off the course. Good for him, too. Good for him. No doubt. No doubt. And last thing about this live event, Woody, we talked about how great Joaquin Neiman was throughout the entire time. It was a little shocking on that last hole in the dark Sergio Garcia stripes a drive right down the middle and then fans his iron shot way out to the right on the downslope buried in the rough just above the bunker. That was pretty shocking. But Woody, my question to you and, and maybe kind of relate this to our listeners, have them understand that at least to me, Woody, the toughest part about playing golf in the dark is looking down at the golf ball. I almost wonder if the depth perception kind of screwed with Sergio Garcia. By the way, can't feel bad for him because Sergio's the one that wanted to play the extra hole in the dark. So uh, kind of yeah. got what got what he wanted right there. Well, I think we've all tried to play golf when the sun's setting and it's getting dark. And it it is. What, it, what it's tough is your visuals. That's what makes it tough. Putting is really hard because you can't see the brakes anymore. You can't you can't really read the green. So, yeah, you can get a little bit off on your balance, but your peripheral or your vision isn't quite what it is. I don't know what happened there. I think Sergio just hit kind of a bad iron, which is a guy like John Rahm hit the bad iron coming down the stretch. Both those guys are some of the best iron players ever, and they just didn't hit the right shot at the right time. I'm kind of happy for Joaquin, just to be honest with you. He hadn't won out there yet. I think he is an up-and-coming star, and I was surprised last year he didn't play better than he did. So I think this could be a really big year for him. So I was glad he got the win, Sam. I I didn't have a problem with Sergio making a mess of that last hole and letting Joaquin sneak in there and get it. 
no doubt. I love Sergio, but I was on your side too. I was rooting for Neiman selfishly because I picked him at the start of the week, Woody. So uh, shout out to Joaquin Neiman for making me sound like a genius. Woody, speaking of predictions, we do have the Waste Management Phoenix Open this week, and we also have Live Las Vegas this week. A little abbreviated previews here because of our special guest after the break, but your top five favorites at the Phoenix Open this year are Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas, Max Homa, Ben On, and Jordan Spieth. You also have Sam Burns, Sungjae Im, then JT Post, and it kind of levels off from there considering that the waste management is not a signature event this year, not quite as good of a field. For instance, Victor Hovland came out and said that he's taking the waste management off to get ready for the next signature event. But Woody, I mean, I can't go against Scotty Scheffler on this golf course. He's won it back-to-back years, and he has a 16% chance to win. If he strikes the ball like he did last week and putts a little better, I can't – I mean, I I feel like I say that every week about Scotty Scheffler, but especially on this golf course, I have all the faith in the world in Scotty Scheffler. Hard not to. Uh, The only guy I know that could win three in a row almost at will was Tiger Woods, so that's hard to do. Three in a row is probably pushing it for Scotty this week. Uh, the one thing that you know, uh, if we're going to pick a winner this week, I'm going to pick it in beer sales and noise. Okay, that's my picking a winner. I golf, I don't have a clue, once again, who's going to win this golf tournament. But I know one thing, they're going to sell a lot of beer, a lot of alcohol, and it's going to be rowdy. So, uh, Phoenix, I love the waste management because it's a different kind of show. It just wasn't normal for the PGA Tour to get that rowdy, and and that's why it's funny that they don't like live because, uh, hey, Phoenix is right up that alley, and everybody loves that. So I think this week, Sam, like every week, the top five, I don't think the winner's coming from it, but it, it wouldn't shock me, but I don't think it's going to come out of that top five. I'm going to go with the guy that won last week. I'm going with Wyndham Clark as my one-and-done pick. I'm going with Scotty Scheffler to have the three-peat at the WM. But as far as my one-and-done pick, I'm going to go with Wyndham Clark, knowing that he's on the heater that he was last week at Pebble Beach. I think that he'll have a pretty good week this week in Scottsdale. And, uh, you know, last year he finished tied for 10th. He's also finished, you know, tied for 36th and tied for 34th. And that's back three and four years ago when Wyndham Clark was not playing his best golf. So he obviously likes this golf course. So give me Wyndham Clark as my one-and-done pick this week at the Waste Management. And then Woody, Super Bowl weekend in Las Vegas, and Liv is also going to Las Vegas. They're playing Las Vegas (laughs) Country Club. I can't imagine how rowdy the crowds are going to be there as well. They're trying to kind of compete with the PGA Tour and have their own party hole as well, which I would assume would be nuts on Super Bowl weekend. First of all, have you ever played Las Vegas Country Club? And if you have, what's the course like? Because I've never seen it. Yeah, it's, it, no, it's a good track. It's, uh, it's desert, a little bit of that desert, but they kind of a little bit like Shadow Creek, but not near as fancy. Uh, a lot of trees on Las Vegas Country Club, believe it or not, planted many years ago, and uh, tight, fairly tight. 
not real long, Sam. So I look for him to I look for him to go low again, and, and especially if the weather's going to be good. Now I don't I don't know. It looks like our weekend this weekend in Oklahoma is likely till most of that. Maybe all that rain and stuff will get through Vegas before uh, before they're playing. So. Uh, I look for those guys to go really low again. Las Vegas Country Club is not that difficult a golf course, and I think those guys will take it apart, really. Good stuff. I look for Team Smash, our team, with TG and Brooks Kepka to play a little better this week. Brooks Kepka finished tied for fifth last week at Mayakoba. I think that Taylor Gooch will play a little better this week as well. That, that Mayakoba, now you do say that Las Vegas Country Club's pretty narrow as well, but Mayakoba's like extra narrow. It doesn't necessarily allow a guy to just kind of step up on a tee box and feel like you can freewheel it, right, Woody? And so, I don't know. I, I think you could maybe see some of these other guys like maybe a Bryson DeChambeau or a Brooks feel a little bit more comfortable out in the desert. I guess we'll see. But I guess you have to go with Legion thirteen, Woody. I, I mean, I'm not betting. Against, I don't know how you can. I'm not betting against them, and then you get John Rahm out in the desert. I think that's a pretty good bet. Yeah, I don't know how you can't go with that one. And 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 we saw how how really important Terrell Hatton was to that team. Uh, he he makes them so solid. And then, then if you get this little college kid playing like he is, oh man, they're going they're going to be awesome, Sam. They're going to be some kind of good. They're going to be fun to watch and. And, you know, one thing about Liv that – and the reason why I think Liv is a little different than the PGA Tour because the PGA Tour is so deep. Liv, we know we got those 15, 20 guys that really, really can play. Well, guess who's on that leaderboard every week? So the leaderboards on Liv are always stellar. I mean, they are always good. They got those guys, and those guys are the ones that are going to dominate. So – I think what a great weekend for anybody living in Oklahoma City, or in Oklahoma for that matter. The weather's going to be just absolutely brutal on Sunday. You're not going to be going out and playing golf yourself. So, you know, get you some waste management going on, then fire over to live, see how crazy they are. And then if you have to, you can watch the Taylor Swift, uh, whatever whatever that girl, what's what's Mahomes wife's name yeah whatever <laughs> you can yeah yeah Brittany you can watch that show all you want but I'm I haven't changed even though I said last week Sam I thought Super Bowl was last week shows you how stupid I am I'm the same guy I was last week I'm not watching those yahoos I could care less <laughs> uh by the way the live event is not going to end on Super Bowl Sunday it's going to end on that Saturday it's the 8th Ninth and 10th. So it's Thursday start this week on live. They're not going to try to compete with Sunday of the Waste Management and then obviously the Super Bowl as well in that same city of Las Vegas. So I think probably a smart move by live to go Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week. Well, you could still watch them to skip the Super Bowl anyway. Watch watch a little waste management, watch a little live, and then you're home free. <laughs> and I know our listeners are out there going, what are you, are an idiot. We're going to watch the Super Bowl, and I know you are. Go for it. I'm all for you. Hey, I'm rooting for the Chiefs. Uh, obviously, my college coach from Tulsa is coming up right after the break, but I also went to school, Woody, in Kansas City, so I'll be rooting for Patrick Mahomes and, and Travis Kelsey in the know. Super Bowl. Uh, Woody, good I stuff. Know. Any any last words before we get to uh, Jim Kane and Bill Brogdon? Uh, no, but I, I, I'll tell our listeners, I know that's going to be a great interview. you got to listen for that because I think they're going to really enjoy it. 
No doubt about it. I won't let them wait any longer. Definitely go hit the follow button on the 73rd Hole Podcast on Apple Podcasts. It's absolutely free, and it just helps us out, and it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode. Also, follow us on social media, at the 73rd Hole on Twitter, and then I am at Sam Humphreys 34 on Twitter as well, or X now, I guess. And you can also catch us on Instagram uh, and Facebook as well. And then you can now catch our podcast at thesportsanimal.com and the Sports Animal app podcast page along with golfoklahoma.org. That was Jim Woodward. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Jim Kane and Bill Brogdon after the break here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at mccrayroofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. back on the other side of the break here on the 73rd hole podcast the official podcast of golf oklahoma as i said we have two very special guests with us today we have my former coach bill brogdon the absolute legend i can't wait to talk to him and we are also talking to jim kane from that 1981 oru golf team that finished second in the national championship that just got inducted into the oru athletic hall of fame over the weekend and this team this 1981 oru golf team is the first team to be inducted into the ORU Athletic Hall of Fame. And the first special guest we will bring in right now is my former coach, Bill Brogdon. Coach, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older. That's a, <laughs> no, you're that's not. But I'm, but I'm doing all right. Very good. Uh, I cannot wait to talk about this. And Coach is an absolute legend. Some of the greatest one-liners you'll ever hear are from Coach Brogdon. I'm sure he'll give us some of those during this show. And then the other special guest is someone who I've known since I was a little kid. First, Kaner, how are you doing? Good to talk to you. And how was the weekend? I mean, the emotions have to be a whirlwind over this weekend, right? Well, I kind of have to echo what Coach Brogdon said, and that is I'm getting old too. So, um, it was a crazy weekend. It was a great weekend. I'm doing well. I'm sure Coach will echo that we uh, we had a very memorable weekend. A lot of stories told, uh, a lot of stories that were told in the past, and a lot of stories that I had heard for the first time. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Hey guys, I feel kind of sorry for Sam in this conversation because 
he's not old. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, no, you know, and and I feel bad for him that he's not because I don't know that there was a better time in college golf than that where we're talking about where it was uh, mid seventies up through the early eighties. I I was just flabbergasted the amount of talent that was out there. I wanted to ask Coach Brogdon if there was ever a time. Can you imagine a portal, my friend? Because let me tell you something, guys. As I sit here talking to you, if there would have been a portal in 1979, there's a real chance that Bill Brogdon would have had me. Uh, Jim Woodward was going to go to ORU, okay? Because I loved that golf team. I I, I knew Rassett. I knew Kane. I knew these guys, and I – not that I didn't love OSU, but, boy, I'll tell you what, I saw an opportunity to be a part of something special. What would it have been like, Coach, if you'd had a portal? I don't know. I'm sure I agree with the portal yet, but I had a couple of guys just like you, Woody, that I could have had that I didn't get. We should have gotten there, but, you know, I ended up with a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful group of guys. They can play golf, too. Yeah, they could. And, and, and I got another quick question for Kaner. Yeah, you know, Jim, Jim, you and I got to be really a lot better friends after college. But looking back, did you guys really understand what you had? Or was that just kind of all of a sudden you, you four? And I'm not trying to leave out the fifth man, but I knew, I knew, you know, Brian and I knew you and I knew Bill Glassman and I, and of course, Joey, and I knew you guys were a special group of four players there. Did you guys see that or feel that? Yes, we did. To be honest with you, we did. You um, knew what that's you what, had. That's what, that's, what, that's what drove us. Right. That's what drove us. And that, uh, that school that you went to that wasn't very far from, uh, from Tulsa. Yeah. Right. Yeah, those, those, those guys, those guys motivated us. And, uh, that that's what really kept us going was um we we wanted to beat them and we 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 did it on a fair amount of time you know but it's it's it, it, you know we talked about it all last weekend but you know it all came from Joey Rassett it was he was the real leader that's what he wanted he said you know we're going to do this and he not only convinced us but i think coach will attest to the fact that he convinced coach like, yeah <laughs> we can do this and uh so we almost got it done, but, uh, you know. But, Woody, I, I would agree with you about the era in which we played college golf. Uh, matter of fact, we, we talked about it over the weekend at our at our team reunion dinner. We, we were talking about the era that we played in, that six, eight-year period of era of golf. College golf was phenomenal, and there were a lot of guys that played that same time that we played that are all in the Hall of Fame. I mean, right. it was it was amazing. I mean, you know, anyway, it, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Just a bunch of legends. Obviously, Joey Rassett, Jim Wilson, Bill Glasson, obviously Kaner and Brian Norton on that golf team. And coach, I kind of want to start from the beginning, not just this team, but how did you get to ORU in the first place? Obviously, you were at LSU, and I think that's a great story. So please tell that, and then tell us how you got all of these California kids to come in and go to ORU. Well, Sam, I, I was at LSU, and we had, you know, back then, 
to be honest, there was only about, oh, I don't know, 25 teams that really pursued golf back then. And uh, LSU was one of those. So I was on top of, of the coaching rank with being at LSU. And, um, you know, Oral Roberts tried to get Mike Holder to be the coach. I don't know if you know all this story. But anyway, and Mike turned him down. And so he went after Jesse Haddock at Wake Forest, who had won the national championship in 73 and 74. So Jesse takes the job. I don't, I, I don't understand exactly why Jesse did, but I guess he ran into a conflict with his athletic director, like we always do, not getting enough money or doing what we need to be, be honored with. But so anyway, Jesse comes to Oral Roberts in the fall of 76. And I invited Jesse because I'd known Jesse playing in the Southeastern Conference and the ACC. And my brother played for Jesse at Wake Forest. So I knew Jesse. I invited him down and all Roberts down to my tournament at LSU. So he comes down and he goes, he goes, Bill, I'm not going to make it at all Roberts. He said, I just don't fit in. I said, Okay. He said, would you be interested? And I said, I could be. And I knew who Oral was. I didn't really, uh, I wasn't a follower necessarily, but I, I knew who he was. And so I, I came up for He recommended me, and I came up for an interview and sat down with him. And he convinced me that I, all I needed to do, he would take care of the program. All I needed to do was have a good program. He wanted to have a good program that people would read the sports page faster than they were going to read about his evangelism. And I go, yeah, he, I was teaching classes at LSU. And then he goes, you don't have to do anything to be the golf coach. And I went, yeah, man, I like that. <laughs> and um, so anyway, I go back home and I, I tell LSU, if you'll get me out of teaching, make me the golf pro because I was in the PGA at the time. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll stay. They said, no, we're not doing that. I said, okay, I'm out of here. And they said, who would you recommend for the job at LSU? And I go, no one. The way you got it set up, I wouldn't recommend it. And so anyway, I left, came to Oral Roberts in January of 77. And Jesse Haddock had brought Mark <clears throat> with him, who was a California player, who was the number one junior player the year before they went away for the year before. And I asked Mark, when I got there, I said, who should I recruit? He said, Joey Rathit is the best out there. So I get on my high horse and I go spend, I don't know how long, chasing Joey Rathit down to come to Oral Roberts. And after he decides to come, he, he talks, he calls me and he goes, you know, I've got a friend in Jim Kane that I'd like to bring with me. And I go, bring him. We'll make this work. You know, and he told Jimmy, so let's be a, a big fish in a small pond instead of being a, a small fish in a big pond. Because they could have gone, they could have gone wherever they wanted to. Also brought in Bobby Clampett that same year. And Clampett loved every minute of it. He said, but you guys don't have an established program. And he went to BYU. And I said, okay. So 
anyway, I go over to Laburn Harris's camp. Laburn and I used to play a lot of golf together. I loved Laburn. I learned more from Laburn Harris than any other coach that I ran around with, which was unusual. Because when I get to Oklahoma, here he is. He's, you know, he just retired. He played in the Nationals in 73 at Stillwater Country Club when I was at LSU and Laburn retired. Anyway, Laburn says, Bill, I got a guy down here that's a pretty good player, but I don't have room for it, Brian Norton. So I follow Brian Norton, and this is in July. And I followed Brian for about three weeks after that, and he decides to come. So now I've got Mark Tender, Joey Rassett, Jim King, and Brian Norton. And I'm going, and I watched Joey Rassett play in the U.S. Amateur. Even before he came to school, that summer before he came to school, he gets beat in the semifinal of the U.S. Amateur. And I'm going, this guy can really play. And then, you know, Joey comes in and goes, Coach, we're going to win the national championship. And I'm kind of looking at him and I'm going, really? You know, you don't really know what you're talking about. But I don't I don't distract him at all. I'd go, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And they went to work, and they worked every day. And Oklahoma State was our gauge, just like Jimmy said. They were a guideline. They beat us by 25 shots the first year. I said, okay, now we know where we are. And we finished sixth in the NCAA as freshmen. And the next year, we get beat by 15 shots. I said, we're getting better. Keep working, keep working, keep working. And they, and they, they got better from there. But it changed my whole – Jimmy's right. Joey did change me. He, he says I changed him, but that isn't right. He changed me, and from then on, I talked about winning the national championship. Never did. And that's a that's – a, but, you know, it's like Glasson said the other night. He said you only get one chance a year. So – you know, and it's it's hard to win. I know Oklahoma State did their job. They they won. They were unbelievable for a long period of time. They still are, but for that period of time, we gained on them and we got better. And um, I couldn't be more proud of them. Just unbelievable there, Coach and and Kaner. I want to ask you. I played for Coach Brogdon way later back in 2014 through 16 right and so we're talking about 1980 1981 can you please walk me through what a young bill brogdon was like trying to get you to come to oru and what was he like as a coach uh the younger version of bill brogdon well i think be nice i i think i think that uh and 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 brian norton alluded to this too was um bill was he he was different than all the other coaches that recruited me. He was so um, I guess sincere was was one thing, and and then the other thing was you know as you guys have gone through it too, you know you're you're seventeen eighteen years old and you're 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 making a your first kind of big decision in your life, and a lot of people make an easy decision and they kind of stay at home and go to school, and I didn't want to do that. I knew it wasn't going to help my golf, so I was going to have this. I was going to have this decision to make and I was going to be leaving home. And I came from a, a very, uh, a very warm family. There were, uh, five of us. And, uh, anyway, 
So I wanted to have someone who I knew was going to be also kind of a father figure and coach was definitely that he was that to all of us. So he was more than just a coach. And he, uh, I I just knew that I was going to feel that he was going to take care of me, I guess would be the way to, the way to phrase it. Um, that kind of, that kind of pushed me over the edge because, um, I, I had signed a letter of intent. I was going to go to BYU, you know, as coach, I'm sure can, can attest to that, you know, on the West coast, they, 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 they probably had the best, the best golf program with the late great Carl Tucker, who was the coach there. And that's the reason why Bobby Clampett went there. And Bob was a, Bobby was a good friend of mine. And I was, I was going to go there, but you know, I was, it's like Joey had told me about the whole, you know, small fish, big pond and stuff. He was exactly right. It, it like hit me in the face because I, I was a good player, but, but I, I was probably going to struggle to make the team there for a couple of years. And I'm not quite sure how I would have handled that because I didn't really play a lot of junior golf tournaments because I was a basketball player. So I, I played summer league in the, in the, in the summer. And um, I knew that in order for me to, to get to be a better player, that I was going to have to play in golf tournaments and compete. And Rath had just kind of opened my eyes. And he said, well, if you come to ORU, you know, you're going to be able to play and you're going to be part of this team. And we're going to go to the best tournaments and we're going to play against the best schools and blah, blah, blah. And, and that was that was the big selling point. Uh, I was going to ask something of Coach Brogdon. When you were at LSU, of course, I didn't get recruited by you, but I, I looked back at the coaches at that time. Holder, Holder guys was probably one of the best salesmen you'll ever meet. If if he would have had ice in Alaska, he could have sold it to an Eskimo. He was the best I had ever. When he wanted to be nice, he could be the nicest guy ever. Okay. Uh, Dave yep. Williams, Dave Williams was the same way down at Houston at that time. Uh, and he had recruited me. Uh, I only got a brief with Jesse Hatt, but he also came across the same way to me. So what I was going to ask you though is I know Dave Williams and I know Mike Holder would get everybody they could get. And I told Sam this story and coach, I think you'll get a kick out of it. Holder told we had three freshmen, my, freshman year one with Brett Harrison Rod Knuckles and myself and Holder got us off to the side and he looked at all three of us and he says one of you's going to fall in love one of you's going to flunk out one of you's going to actually be a player and I really don't give a damn which one of it it is <laughs> and that's how cold-blooded he would get once you were there okay and I mean yep. he didn't miss a beat of that so when I'm my question is though we had so many guys at Oklahoma State we had too many in my opinion Jim, you're right, because I didn't get a chance to play my first couple of years. In fact, I redshirted one year because we were so loaded, okay? I think Dave Williams did the same thing. They, they'd hoard all these golfers. Yep. In your case, Coach, I'm not saying you didn't have some players, but these guys were your studs, and you knew it. So how did you go about with, with knowing you got maybe five top six that you're going to work with, Holder had – 12, 15 guys. What's the difference in your coaching style with that few of players compared to having too many? Well, when I was at LSU, we had our own golf course. And that's, that's the advantage and the disadvantage of having your own golf course. You will have more players when you have your own golf course. When I came up here, because I had 15 at LSU. But back then, too, what do you have to remember that we had nine scholarships. 
Right. So you could get more players, and you went out and you got as many players as you could get. And um, when I came up here, I decided that, but, you know, also I will say that when I had 15 players, it was the worst time of my life because seven through 15, there was eight guys complaining the whole time, you know, because I wasn't as tough as Mike and just said, I don't care whether you make it or not. You know, I was trying to keep them happy too. And they complained and complained and they were not going to help the team. Right. So when I got, when I got up here, I decided, okay, nine is the right number. Because the one beautiful thing about Tulsa is that we have Southern Hills, we have Tulsa Country Club, we have the Oaks, we have Cedar Ridge, you know, we had the Golf Club of Oklahoma. We had five or six tremendous golf courses. That was my selling point with the nine guys. You're going to play the best golf courses you can play. If you can play these golf courses, you can play anywhere in the country. And with the weather that you give in Oklahoma, you can you're gonna to learn to hit golf shots. And that's how you learn to play golf. So I got the nine players, I could play three threesomes, send them out, and they would be just fine. They wouldn't hold up the members and we moved along just fine. So that's how I got the nine. Nine was my number. And um, I told Holder one time, I said You've had more good players in one year than I've had in my lifetime. And it kind of went, you're probably right. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like he. You know, you're probably oh, yeah. right. And well, I said, you know, but anyway, that was, he was pretty tough. Well, Coach, I got to tell you one funny thing about when you said you got your own golf course. I, I, I told Coach Holder after I'd already been long and gone. And, of course, he and I, we had our moments where we didn't get along very well. And, uh, I couldn't resist. I went back for one of our Cowboy Pro-Ams, and I, I told him at that time they finished Carson Creek, and it, it was really special and had all those indoor bays and all this kind of fancy stuff. And I, I said, you know, Coach, what's funny to me is I said, we won more national championships when we practiced behind cedar trees to keep from the north wind and play in Lakeside. What's the deal? I mean, you act like this is something special. You aren't winning a darn thing now. <laughs> well, that went over like a turd in a punch bowl, as you can imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, sometimes, like you say, Coach, it's, it's not necessarily the facility. It's the players. And, Kaner, that's what I was going to ask you. We weren't in a fraternity, so to speak, at OSU. Our fraternity was the golf team. Yeah. And when those golfers get close, when they become brothers, and they become one for all, all for one, it it creates the dynasty, and I'll be curious. I'd love to hear just one quick one with all of you guys back together. All the all the different routes you have taken from Billy, you know, Glassman going out and playing the tour. Brian now's a heck of an amateur player. Joey played the tour for a while, and then got into the uh, manufacturing business. Of all those guys, when you got back, buddy, tell me the funniest story that came about with you four. Oh boy! I know you can't just get one. I know, but just tell our audience out there. Tell them, tell them one good story that they could they can appreciate how tight you guys became because you guys were like brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Well, the first one that comes to mind, and I think Coach might have to help me with this, but we went out, I think it was the, uh, the fall of 80. The NCAAs in 81 were going to be at Stanford. So Stanford had a tournament in the fall. So we went out to Northern California, and we went out to um, the Stockton area, and we played a tournament out there. I'm sure Coach remembers Glenn Albaugh, who was the coach at University of Pacific. The coach, remember we went there, and it was uh, – did we play 27 holes the first day? Well, Joe – anyway, th- that fall season, we had played, I think, in two tournaments before we went to California. We played both terms. We played uh, – the all college in Oklahoma city. And then we played, uh, the tournament in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We won both those tournaments. Joey won both individual tournaments. His scoring average. What was it coach? Like 67, something. 67, 68, 67, whatever it was. Right. So we go to California and the first, did we play 27 the first day? No, I think we just played 18. I think we played three days back then. Most of the time. But what did he shoot? He shot like 69 or something. He shot 69-69 the first two days. Right. And what did we tell him at dinner? Well, we can't tell you exactly what we told him. (laughs) You can say anything you want on the podcast, Coach. (laughs) So so, so paraphrase it a little bit, Coach. What did we tell Joey at dinner? He was screwing up his stroke average. Yeah. Yeah. He said, Joey, you're screwing up your stroke average. What in the hell is going on? So what did he shoot the next day? 63. 63. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Oh, gosh. He, had, yeah. he had a few words for us, too, when he got through 63. And, oh, and, yeah. He uh, was a great coach. You motivated him by being positive, not negative. Yeah. I know. We, we, oh, yeah. we, just, we, we tried to help him all we could. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and that that's Coach Brogdon for you. I'll tell you a quick story about Coach Brogdon kind of manipulating a negative into a positive. Kaner, I'll, I'll tell you this. I had just made a double bogey on a par four in a tournament, and I was pissed off and probably throwing some clubs, saying a cuss word or two, and Coach Brogdon comes up to me. He goes, why are you upset? I'm like, what do you mean why am I upset? I just made double on the last hole. And he goes, well, you should be happy. You hit five bad shots and still made six. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, classic, Coach. Classic. But anyway, Coach, and it made me laugh. And along those lines, you were able to relate to the college player from the early days at LSU to ORU to, you know, Tulsa, then back again, helping out with the ORU team. What do you kind of attribute that to your ability to relate to these up and coming golfers and turn them not only into great players but into men? Well, Sam, I, my dad was a basket was a coach, and I played I played college basketball and played college golf too. But he never raised his voice, and he was the most positive guy I've been around, and I learned from him. And most of the time, guys get so wound up playing the game and they get to thinking about the wrong thing. I don't need to jump in there and make it worse. I'm trying to lighten the situation. I'm trying to keep it loose enough that, son, all you need to do is just play. You don't have to get all wrapped up in it. And You know, it's like you're talking about. You, 
you hit by a bad golf shot, what are you expecting me? I mean, come on, <laughs> you know? So I, I carried that with me. I was an athlete, so I had people jump on me, and that didn't turn me on. That didn't motivate me. That kind of distanced me from the guy that was doing it because you didn't need to do that. And I guess I learned that at an early age and because if I could just get a player to relax and play golf, he was going to be as good as he could be. Yep. And that was, that was kind of my whole MO was, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to expose you to the best I can expose you to. Give you the best golf courses to play in Tulsa and the LSU. I'm going to give you the best tournaments and play against the best people you can play against to find out exactly how good you are. And then I'm not telling you how good you are. You're finding out for yourself, if I can't beat anybody in college golf, I'm probably not very good. But if I can beat people and beat, we can beat teams, we're pretty good. And that was my whole ammo. And uh, because I was, I was an athlete and I, I had people help me come along the way. And I wanted to be the guy that could help them become better men. I'm sure we got listeners out there that are coaches. I, I don't doubt that there are. Those words right there, if they listen to this podcast, they need to record it and play it over and over again because that's what made Coach Brogdon such a popular coach. It, it makes me even more sick that I didn't play for him. Because what he just said is so profound. Every golfer, every athlete is different. Some do well when you ride. Some don't. Some some don't need it. Uh, that that's just the way it is. And and coach with Jimmy and Kane and I, we played a lot more golf as we got older. And I always loved playing with Jim because it sounds like the way you coached he would have to coach me because I got a little fire in my belly and sometimes I'll drift off. And, and when we would play together and play in tournaments together and even play as a teammate, he'd always bring me back. So that was great coaching on your part because you got a winner in Jim Kane. And I know Rasset and those guys were the same way. I just, I've enjoyed this guys. I know Sam's going to ask probably one more question before we send it off, but I just wanted to tell you coach, listening to that story for those people that are out there listening to us today, whatever their son or daughter plays, figure out what motivates them, figure out what makes them good. And it's not always yelling at them. It's that doesn't necessarily bring it to, I know one thing and Kaner will tell you this coach. I don't want this. I get bored practicing. I don't I don't understand practice. Practice is I'm like Alan Iverson, I guess. I shouldn't be, but I I did never got into practicing. I really I like to play. I like to get out there amongst it. So, you know, that's just me though. Well, I think I think that for a coach, the coach has to figure out what turns the guy on. Yep. Laughing was entirely different from Jim King. I believe that. <laughs> and, and, and Brian Norton was different from Bill Glasson and Joey Rasson. Bill Glasson, he and I would stand toe to toe and call each other several names, but that was 
to get him to a certain to a level that I wanted to get him to. Because he was a great athlete and he was a great competitor. And I knew and the same thing with Joey. I would Joey would make a couple of bogeys and I go, What are you gonna do? Bogey every freaking hole? I think I'd see him four or five holes later and he's made three or four birdies. Yeah. Now you're talking. So that's that's what coach good coaches I think learn their players well enough to help them get to the point where they can motivate them. No doubt. That's great advice. Go ahead. I've screwed up a lot. So so don't don't think I got all of them right. (laughs) No, you you have definitely done better than most every coach that I've ever heard of, especially the the kind of longevity of your career coach is unmatched and yeah. Hall of Famer now and everything. Unbelievable stuff. Kaner, I have one more for you. Um, obviously, knowing Bill Glasson and Joey Rassett well enough to tell us, like, not only just their personalities, because I've heard some legendary Bill Glasson stories, but I'm sure that, you know, (laughs) I I would like to hear maybe one more of those, but also tell us how good those guys actually were. Like when Hal Sutton was asked, who's the best player he ever played with that you probably never heard of? He said Joey Rassett and Bill Glasson won seven times, you know, on the PGA tour. Tell me a little bit about being teammates with those guys and maybe a funny story about, about Bill Glasson. Oh, boy. Well, it goes without saying. I mean, Joey was, uh, I mean, he was really a legend. He he was, you know, he and I had been friends for a long, well, we'd been friends for three or four years before we went to college. We knew each other when we were, you know, 11, 12 years old. But anyway, um, and Bill Glasson would be the first to tell you that, you know, when he came to school, he had the impression that he was going to beat all of us including Joey. Right, Coach? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, well, he found out real quickly that that, that ain't going to happen. And he he was the fourth man on the team. But the thing about Glasson was he never gave up. And as Coach said, he was such a competitor. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he played, uh, he played sports in high school. He played baseball. He played football. He played basketball. He just had that 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 inner drive of competition and um i don't think that joey or brian or even coach and i were surprised that bill had the career that he had on the pga tour he just has that you know i'm telling you what we were actually talking joey and uh brian and i were talking about it that you know it would have been amazing what kind of career bill would have had on tour had he not had all his injuries I mean, he, he, he may have won 20 times if he hadn't had all the surgeries and everything. But um, a story about Bill Glasson, I don't – well, you know, there were a couple of stories that were told at our reunion dinner that actually Bill said, and I don't think I can repeat those. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Bill was uh, – I don't know, Coach, you might have to help me out. I, I can't really think of – he was on probation the whole time he was in school. Okay, well now I'm glad you brought that up because that came from you, not me. So, yeah. So he, uh, yeah. But, so I, well, it's it's, it's like I said. It, it's like I said at the dinner on Friday night before we all got to talking. I said I just want everybody to know that the statute of limitations are in effect. So it's been 43 years. So, 
Anyway, but yeah. Coach, you might you might allude to that. I was going to, but I'm going to defer to you about his being on probation at ORU. But he wasn't the only one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I will guy. say, I never was. Jimmy was Jimmy Jimmy was the, the level headedest guy we had <laughs> by far. I believe that. But the first time, I'll, I'll just say this real quick. The first time. He, I went to see Bill play, and I went to see him play. In, oh, this is a great story! In the city, in the city, amateur in Fresno. I get to the golf course, and I'm, you know, I haven't seen him yet. I'm, I'm just going to visit and, and recruit him. And I get to the golf course, and I see this guy barefooted and no shirt. Guess who it is? At the Philly. And he's playing this 35-year-old guy or whatever. And, he, you know, he cuts him out on 12 or 13. But that was, that was the way he played golf about half the time. He grew up in a public golf course, and he was just happy that way. And um, he progressed from there. <laughs> That's good stuff. And then, Woody, I, I thought it would be cool to ask you this because you've known Kaner for so long and been such good friends. If someone were to be like, what kind of player was Jim Kane? What would you say? Oh, my gosh. I, I tell you what, Kaner on any given day can hit the purest-looking irons that I've ever seen. I've had a couple of uh, tournaments together where we were partners. And there were a lot of times that he'd hit so many shots at the flag, I couldn't I couldn't see it. The ball would keep covering it up. And I'd just sit in the cart and i go, okay, you got this hole. Okay, you got this hole. Okay, you got this hole. And then every once in a while, I think he'd just hit one offline just so I'd have to play. Just to be honest with you. Because he's the purest iron striker of the golf ball that I'd, I'd, I'm one of the purest I've ever seen. I'm telling you guys, it was so good. Even today, Sam, out there at Oak Tree National, he'll be out there with a stick and his cameras, and he'll be working on something, and I'm smoking a cigar, drinking a club special. And, I mean, they're just still, they just lay him out there. And he goes, they uh, you don't wanna... go as far, Woody. Well, they don't go as far. But <laughs> yeah. we, we talked about that the other day. You remember we had to de-lock our clubs so they'd go a little yeah. bit further. That's the, yeah. that's the trick as you get older, Sam. You'll learn that. You just you just take a seven iron and de-lock it to a five, and that looks like <laughs> you're hitting your seven pretty good. That's so, right. But, but no, I, I've, I've, I've never really seen anybody that, that just, hits their irons as pure as Jimmy does. He just he just can just lace them. And Kaner, how many PGA championships did you play in? And you won the Oklahoma Open, right? Yeah, he won beat the Oklahoma, me. I won yeah, the Oklahoma Open twice. <laughs> oh, yeah, I won the did. Oklahoma Open twice, back-to-back, in, in 79 and 80. And then uh, won the Oklahoma Open in 91. And, yeah, you won the uh, state amateur in '79 and '80. You won the Oklahoma State '80, yeah. yeah. And then you won the Oklahoma Open by making about a forty-foot putt on the first playoff hole that no human in their right mind can make. Oh, when Woody, it was a freaking pure putt. I knew it was yeah, as soon as I hit it. That's bullshit. <laughs> Jesus, how long has that been? And you're still ragging me about it. <laughs> I know. Well, it only broke <laughs> on that number one of the East course. Or, oh, I mean, I just God. like really, gee. Yeah, but that's another thing. Yeah. yeah, but he won. Yeah, he won. Yeah, I'm sure Coach will attest that I, I had a good few good summers there. I, I won. He, he won the amateur twice. I won the NorCal amateur. I won uh, 
I won the Broadmoor Invitational twice. Um, then I, um, unfortunately, I lost in the finals of the California Amateur in 1980 to some guy named Bob Clampett. But I beat a but I beat a guy by the name of Mark O'Mara in the semi. Yeah, that's wow. Good win. Uh, that was big because he he was the reigning USAM champ. Mark's a good friend of mine, and everybody was talking about how it was going to be an O'Mara Clampett final, and and I beat uh, I beat O'Mara three and two at Pebble that day. I didn't make a bogey. Isn't that funny? How I can't I can still remember that. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he was good in college too. He was. I never had to worry about Jimmy. Because, like you say, what he did, that he just, he was going to do his, he would get over par before he would play two or three <laughs> holes. He'd get over par. And I'd, I'd start, before he even started, I'd go, okay, Jimmy, you're two over par, and now bring it back. So yeah. he always would get two or three over par, then go birdie, 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 and finish it even par. He said, this is Start off even par. You know? So the amateur he won at Cedar Ridge, and what was that, 80? 70, uh, 79, 70, 78 or 79. I can't remember. Well, I get beat in the semifinals or I'd have played him in the final. Yeah. Coach lost in the semis. Well, that would have been fun. <laughs> that would have been great. Oh, good. Well, you know, now, Kanger, there's a bit of history you just brought up then, because if you look at that Oklahoma State amateur trophy, yep. 78 was the toughest year to win it. And I, I had to win that year. And then it got easy after that. <laughs> so oh, you you gosh. won the state am in seventy eight. I won it. I won it seventy eight. You won it seventy nine eighty. <laughs> oh, I don't yeah, remember that. A, there's some trivia. <laughs> now where'd you win it at? I won it at the Greens. I beat Jeff McMillan. Oh, Ooh. okay. All right. That's pretty good player too. Yeah. Very good. Now there's a player that probably should have gone to ORU, coach. We tried to get oh. him. Yeah, I wish I, he would have. I lost a lot of guys to OSU just because it was OSU. I understand. Tracy, Tracy Phillips was another one. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Hall of Famer Jim Kane and Hall of Famer Bill Brogdon. And, Coach, before we end this, I just wanted to say that I love you. I love you like another father. And thank you for not just giving me an opportunity to go play for you at the University of Tulsa. I'm sure – all of your players, all the way back to those great teams with Kaner and Bill Glasson and Joey Rassett. I'm sure they feel the same way, that we absolutely love you, Coach. You're an absolute legend. You'll always hold a special place in my heart. And, you know, we need to hang out sometime because it's been too long since we've talked, and I absolutely love you. Well, I appreciate that, Sam. I mean, I feel the same way about you, and I appreciate all the kind words. Oh, my. How do you wrap this? I could listen to these two talk all night long. This has been fun. But, uh, again, it, it, I, I, this is when I enjoy being my age, though, guys, to get to, re, get to reminisce. you got to be a certain age to reminisce. And uh, I can only hope that the kids nowadays have it near as much fun as we did as we grew older. Uh, that's all I'm going to add to this. Amen to that. No doubt. And Kaner, definitely come back yes, on the podcast. We want to have you on again, maybe PGA Championship Week or something to help us preview some tournament because your golf knowledge and your knowledge of the history of golf is, is just as good as anybody's. So I really appreciate well, you taking you. the time today too. I appreciate it, Sam. Thank you. Thanks, Woody. Okay, guys. You guys have a great evening. <laughs>